Listen, I know that this weekend can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And sometimes we get together on a weekend like this because we think, well, I really need to spend a little time here and focus on Jesus. But in reality, if this weekend really impacts your life, it's going to impact every other weekend of your life as well. Every other day of your life. Friends, if we are able to wrap our minds around what Jesus did for us through his death, resurrection, and ascension, it will change everything about life for us. So this evening, we want to spend a little time looking at what God's word has to say to us. If you have a Bible with you this evening, I want to invite you to grab it, to open it with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We'll also put these words up on the screen uh, when we get there. And, and this might seem to be a little bit of a weird place to start, but I trust that this will, will all make sense a little bit later on as we prepare to gather around the communion table. A little bit later on in the service, we are going to welcome you to come up here to this table to take and eat of the Lord's Supper and to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that he made. But before we do that, I want to give you, I want to take just a few moments here to kind of remind us of why it is that we come to this table. You see, in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he made it all very, very good. And everything was perfect because it was made by a good God. But there was a moment when mankind decided to take matters into his own hands, into her own hands, and said, I think that I know better than God does. And everything in, uh, that, that was perfect, everything that was good, everything that was right, everything that was holy, was taken away in a moment. And from that moment on, the story of the Bible, the story of human history has been how do we get back to this place of receiving all that God has desired for us to have? And so in Genesis chapter 3, we have God, we have Adam, we have Eve. And in this Garden of Eden that he's placed them in, he tells them that they can eat whatever it is that they want to eat. And don't you just wish that someone would tell that to you every now and then? Well, eat whatever it is that you want to eat, eat as much as you want to eat, except for from this one tree, which is kind of put there, like putting a kid in, a, in the middle of a room and then a, a big bag of candy there and saying, hey, don't touch it, right? You think, well, why would God do that? Why would God put a tree right in the middle of the garden and tell them not to eat from it? Well, he wanted them to understand, and us as well, from the very beginning of time, that there are some things in life that are, that begin to, that, that are beyond our uh, capability of taking. You see, there was a tree of life, and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the, the gar, in this garden, and this tree uh, was something that God had said, hey, you can't eat from that tree. Now, uh, again, you might ask why. God why would you not let them eat from this tree? And I think that at the very core of this, at the very heart of why God said that is because he was saying, listen, I and I alone have the right to determine what is good and what is evil. And the moment that you think that you can determine in your own efforts what is good and what is evil, that is when you've crossed the line. Friends, this tree that was in the garden did have real fruit on it, but what it represented was so much more significant than just a piece of fruit. 
And the question that Adam and Eve were faced with is, will we trust what God says about what's good and what's evil, or will we take matters into our own hands? Now, just as you reflect on that for a moment here on, on Adam and Eve and this question that they're faced with, I wonder, can you by chance imagine a time in this world, maybe a culture in this world, a country in this world that is bent on determining what is good and what is evil in our own minds? I mean, can you imagine what it might look like for a culture to take what God says is good and call it evil and to take what God says is evil and call it good? Now, I know that you don't have to look very far to see that in a country and a culture, a society. But we don't have to look very far even in our own hearts either. Because deep down, every time that we see that, that, we're saying, that we're saying, listen, I think I can determine what is good and what is evil on my own. I don't need you, God. And here is what we read, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? You know, friends, this is so, uh, such a reminder of um, Satan's original question to Eve. It's the same question that he keeps asking you and me even today. Are you sure that God said that? Are you sure that that's the way God said it in the Bible? Are you sure that you really have to obey that commandment? I mean, God said that thousands of years ago. Do you think that really applies today? Did God really say that? So the serpent says to the woman, Do, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Friends, Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, they begin to uh, experience something that they had never experienced before. Shame, guilt, embarrassment, humiliation. For the first time in their lives, they felt exposed and they had to cover up and hide from each other and from God. Which is often what happens in our lives when we sin. We, we want to cover up as well. We, we want to keep our distance from people. We, we, we don't want God to know what's going on. We don't want other people around us to know what's going on. And, and if you continue reading on in the next few verses, the crazy thing that happens next is that God comes to them. He's still pursuing after them, even though they don't want anything to do with him. But, but then... Uh, the, the, 
what eventually takes place is so remarkable because God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, did you eat of that tree that I told you not to eat from? And do you know what Adam said? He said, you know, that woman that you gave me, I mean, you know, I was just taking a nap. I, I, I didn't ask for her. She just showed up on my doorstep. You're the one who's responsible for this. I woke up one day with this pain in my side, and now I've got all of this drama to deal with. And Eve, she says, listen, if we had a couch, he'd be sleeping on it tonight. She says, the serpent, he deceived me. You see, sin starts with shame, and then it turns to blame. That, that woman made me do it. That man made me do it. God, you made me do it. The devil made me do it. My mom did this. My dad wasn't there. That person that I work with, that spouse of mine said this. My kids make me crazy. This isn't my fault. I'm not responsible. Somebody else is responsible. Well, God sees right through all of the blame shifting and he gives consequences to each and every single one of them. But I want you to notice something that I think is kind of interesting in verse 6. At least in my Bible it is. I, I, I'm going to put this up on the screen so that we can kind of highlight this so that you can kind of see what, what I'm talking about here. But it says, she took and she ate. She took and she ate. She saw something that she wanted. She took it and she ate it. There was some type of desire that this was something that she wanted most in life. And she gave it to her husband. They took matters into their own hands and they ate it. And as a result of taking and eating, sin entered in. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, we see two very interesting things. First... Verse 15, God says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's actually a reference to uh, pointing forward to the crucifixion and later on to the resurrection where, where sin and death will ultimately be defeated. Secondly, though, here... It's interesting that as this promise is given to Adam and Eve, they're walking around with these loincloths on, and God says, listen, that's not good enough. You're going to get kicked out of this garden, but you're going to be walking around, and you can't be walking around out there like that. You can't be walking around in works that you've come up with. And so in a very interesting way, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothe them. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the only way that you can get garments of skin is if something dies. Friends, the only way that Adam and Eve could walk out of this garden with their shame covered up is if something died in their place. Well, at this point, Adam and Eve exit out of the Garden of Eden. The rest of Scripture is bent and determined on finding a way back to that paradise. And as hard as humanity has tried, we've never been able to find a way back in our own wisdom, our own strength, our own power. But there is one who does know a way. And to see that, I want us to move forward in our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 26. 
You think about the life of Jesus, the one who was born in a way that no man could ever take credit for, the seed of a woman. (coughs) He begins his public ministry. His cousin John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for him, said this about him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came on a rescue mission And that mission was more than just to teach us how to love each other, to teach us how to get along. Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. Early on in Jesus' public ministry, he made it very, very clear that, listen, if you don't have me, if you're not totally consumed with me in your life, then you don't have anything at all. And many of the large crowds that were following him early on in his ministry left as he got closer and closer to the cross. Well, the enemy was bent and determined to stop this seed of a woman from reaching his destination. And Jesus knew that his time had come. In Matthew chapter 26, we're told that Jesus gathered together with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. Now, you may uh, have been around church for a while, and maybe you're familiar with the Passover. It's a time of celebrating how God passed over the houses of the Israelites as they were in slavery there in Egypt. Maybe you know this story, but the hor- this horrible ruler named Pharaoh, he was, enslaved, uh, all, he, he was enslaving all of the Israelites, and, and, and God had sent these nine plagues in order to wake this man up and to let his people go, but he never did. And so God sent a tenth plague known as the Passover. The Passover was an occasion where God was going to take one person, the firstborn from each family, in order to pay for the penalty of sin of the entire family. But he said, there is a way out. Something can take the place of that firstborn child. God told the people that they were to sacrifice a pure, spotless lamb. They weren't to break any of its bones, but that night they were to eat the lamb. They were to take the blood. They were to paint it over the door frames of their houses. And if they did that, the wrath of God in the form of the angel of death would pass over that house. But God would only spare those who had the blood painted over their door frames. Now, the thing that's very important to understand here is that the blood had to be shed, but it also had to be applied. And the same thing, the same way, just because Jesus died does not mean that we are all covered here tonight. His blood has to be applied to the door frames of our lives. It has to be applied in order to say, God, pass over me. Let Jesus' death take my place. Well, on the night before the crucifixion, Jesus gathered together with some of his closest friends. Twelve disciples, guys by the name of Peter, James, and John, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Judas. These were guys that had no, no one else would have chosen them. They, they, they were like the nobodies of the world. But you could just feel the electricity in this room. They're, they're, all, they're, they're all in Jerusalem. There's uh, hundreds of thousands of other people in Jerusalem at this time as well in order to celebrate the Passover where the pure spotless lamb died so that God would pass over those who had applied the blood over their lives. Well, Jesus gathers them together in an upper room. He washes their feet. He begins to give them some parting words. And they, 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 just, they, they could just tell that the clock is ticking, that the time of Jesus here on this earth is soon going to be over. 
Now, we just read a little bit ago how Satan had tempted Adam and Eve and said, hey, be your own person. You know, seal your own destiny, be your own God, take and eat. And they did, and sin entered into the world. But now, in this moment, in the upper room, Jesus says, I'm going to take back that which was broken in the garden. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, we read these words. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. You have to imagine what Jesus was doing in that moment. Think that that the disciples caught on to this because Matthew wrote it down very carefully. And, And he was one of the disciples who was there in the room at the time, but... When, we, when he heard these words, take and eat, he said, you know what, I feel like I've heard that before. And here is Jesus with his disciples gathered around with God and the angels kind of listening in on this. But also with Satan and all of the demonic forces listening in with this great excitement about the moment of Jesus' death fast approaching. And Jesus says, listen. This is going to be a different kind of meal. Take and eat this. And everything that was broken in the garden in this meal was going to be fixed. Jesus took the bread and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. Verse 27 says, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. On this day, I believe that Jesus fulfilled at this meal, uh, Psalm 23 and verse 5, where it says that the good shepherd will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Now, I think that Judas was a pretty appropriate enemy in that moment. But, but I also think about the enemy of our sin and death and Satan. All of our selfish desires, all of those enemies were present in that room and Jesus set a new table before us. What was he saying in that moment? Well, I believe that he was saying to his disciples something that all of us probably need to hear tonight. You've been dining with the devil for far too long. It's time to eat of a new meal. You've been wanting to take matters into your own hands for far too long. You've thought in your mind that you can take from whatever tree you want to, whenever you want to, that you've determined what is good and evil in your own mind. That's why some of you are consumed with impure and ungodly thoughts. That's why some of us right now are thinking about uh, or acting on relational decisions that are completely against the word of God, and yet we're doing it anyway. Take and eat. Some of us in the room think that we can control those addictive behaviors, those addictive patterns, and yet we, we, we think we can stop it, and yet we haven't been able to do it. We haven't done it yet. Take and eat. 
the things that we watch, the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we do, wh- whether it's when other people are around or when we're all by ourselves, we, we, we say, you know what, I'll take and I'll eat. I'll determine what's good and I'll determine what's evil. But Jesus says, I've got a different table for you. And what does this table represent? Because each and every one of us has dined at that first table. Jesus has set a new one. And at this table is none other than himself who would later on, just hours after this, go to the cross that he did not deserve but that we did deserve. This bread that was broken represents his body that has been taken instead of ours. The the cup that that was passed represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and And what's so amazing here is that in verse 29, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, I will not eat, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And while there was a meal in the Garden of Eden, and there was a meal here at the Last Supper, there's also coming another meal one day. In fact, in Revelation chapter 19, it talks about this new kingdom where there will be a new table that we're going to be, uh, set, that's going to be set in front of us. And everybody who, by faith, has accepted Jesus and received this meal in this place, We'll be eating of that meal forever one day. That meal is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sin of the world, will bring everyone who is with Him, and they will be with Him forever and ever, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus took their place and they put their faith in Him. Friends, listen, Jesus came into this world, and He was on a mission His mission was to go to the cross. He wasn't running away from the cross. He was running towards the cross. Why was he running towards the cross? Because we had taken and eaten from the wrong feast. And he was offering us a new one. He he offers us a new one. The first meal was all about sin. The second meal is all about salvation. The first meal was all about what can be taken, what, what, what we do in our own efforts, what we do to think that we can be right with God. The second meal, though, is very, very different. It's offered because we haven't done everything right. Look, I, I want every person in this room to know something that may shock you to hear from a preacher, but I don't care how bad you've sinned. You have not outsinned God's grace. If you've uh, passed, uh, if you if if your uh, if your past is a mess, if you've um, messed everything up and you've just um, totally uh, lived it for yourself and lived for the sin of this world, for, lived for the pleasures of this world. Listen, you're not alone. Everyone else has messed up their past too, except for Jesus. There's nobody who is perfect in this room including Pastor Jason. And yet, each and every one of us can know and have confidence that we're going to be in heaven one day. We're going to be with Jesus one day if we have placed our faith in Him for salvation. We've all tasted of that first fruit 
And when you taste of this second meal, though, everything changes. And the way that you do that is to spiritually acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have messed up, that you've separated yourself from God in your own actions, that, that you need a Savior and that Jesus is the only one who can save you and set you free. Friends, there is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive or that he won't forgive. If we humble ourselves before him and receive his mercy, receive his payment on the cross for our sin, he promises that he will cleanse us and forgive us from all our sin and give us a whole new life in him. That is what this table is all about. Jesus offers himself to you. And tonight Jesus says, take and eat.